who is a New York City-based running and endurance coach and also the co-founder of City Coach. And um, I say we, but really I mean my partner, John Williams, was the one leading the interview today because your boy was in Vermont on a mini vacation checking out some of the fall foliage, uh, which is legit spectacular. And if you think like how awesome could like leaves really be, uh, the answer is pretty freaking awesome. So I recommend it. But uh, like running, the key to podcasting is consistency, uh, at, at least I, I think anyway. So uh, John made it happen to bring you this super fresh episode and a little bit more about Jonathan. Uh, he's been coaching athletes for over 30 years now, and he's coached more than his fair share of athletes for the New York City Marathon, which is coming up next month. Uh, so I figured this was a perfect time uh, to dive into to bring you some information about that race in particular. So John and Jonathan talk about the marathon and specifically how to handle race logistics, navigate the course, and how to keep your cool during such a crazy race uh, that can be absolutely overwhelming. So there's a ton of value here for anyone who is running New York City, um, but also any marathon. So it's a really good, informative episode, and I'm excited to bring it to you guys. So uh, they also talk a little bit about this phenomenon of cheating during marathons and how Jonathan will catch you if you try it. So uh, don't do it. Um, and they also dive into some current events like the sub two efforts and about Alberto Salazar and Nike Oregon project, which has been in the news. So um, stick around uh, to the later part of the podcast. If that is of your interest, uh, there's a bit of a connection snafu about an hour into the podcast, which happens um, fairly abruptly. So uh, but like true professionals, John and Jonathan keep the conversation moving, so um, expect that about 61 minutes in. And uh, before we get started, I, I do want to remind you to please rate and review, subscribe to every new episode um, to get dropped right directly into your feed. And also, uh, I did want to let you know that we are specializing in premium one-on-one coaching for runners and obstacle course race race athletes so if you do want to get faster for your next race and want to learn more you can check out the link in the show notes and take it directly over to our coaching page where you can apply and then from there we'll be in contact so enough with all that and here is jonathan king hello everyone welcome to the reinforced running podcast this is john williams flying solo today but i have a very special guest an old friend and a coach of mine from New York City, uh, founder of City Coach, Jonathan Kane. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, like I said, an, you're an old friend, an old coach of mine. Um, and on a personal level, I was, um, I was recommended to you for, I guess, almost 12 years ago now. Where you helped me get, to the, uh, get ready for a, a, uh, an Ironman. And um, this is how much I actually trust John, so everybody knows. I, my wife asked me if... She, who I, she, she wanted some coaching for a race, I guess in June. And, uh, I recommended John cause I knew that, you know, he was the most likely to, to do the best job and, uh, and make me look good. So <laughs> thanks, John. Oh, my pleasure. It's funny you say that because I, I always joke, I've got a long history starting from when I founded this company 30 years ago of, of sort of latching onto athletes who make me look smarter than I really am. So, um, yeah, we, that, that that's what you did. That's what she did. So yeah, I was happy to work with her. It was a pleasure. No, we, we had a, we had a great experience. So with that said, um, you know, we're I'm really looking forward to talking a lot about the New York City Marathon, New York City running, and maybe some other um, you know p- topics in the news. But first, maybe you could tell us a little bit, about, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, at City Coach, and some of the other ways you're you're involved in, in the New York City uh, area. Sure. Um, so yeah. So our, our 
company is, is City Coach or full full name City Coach Multisport. Um, I've been coaching athletes for I'm always loath to say this because it shows how old I am, but I've been doing it for 30 years now, uh, <laughs> working with endurance athletes, and and I'm lucky. I work with triathletes and runners, and I. I I'm glad to say that I work with everyone from, you know, real raw beginners, you know, beginner with a capital B through elite athletes. I've been lucky enough to have a couple of world champion, national champion athletes, a world record holder with whom I started, founded the company, who I coached for years. Um, And yeah, so I was here. I coached here in the city with Nike for about 12 years, with Jackrabbit for 13 or 14 years or so. Um, So yeah, just been very involved with the New York uh, endurance scene for quite a while now. Yeah, so so tell me real, real quick. I'm just curious. The, the world record holder that you said yeah. what was that? What event was that in? And that was, was that? yeah. Well, that was Christopher Berglund, who um, oh, was the co-founder right, of Chris. this business. Yeah. So yeah. I, I met Christopher literally the day I started grad school. So I got my my master's degree in exercise physiology because I wanted to go from being the guy. And my first job in fitness was working at a in a corporate gym and my job was to roll out the basketballs and tell the guys not to curse too much. And the director was, had literally been there since the 1950s and it was very old school YMCA kind of style. And shortly after I started there, a guy came in who had his PhD and background in exercise physiology. And he sort of opened my eyes to how different the world could be. And so I ended up in grad school and, um, because I wanted to to really learn more about the field. And yeah. so that first day I was, I had finished my shift. I was sitting on a life cycle for an hour afterward, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm watching this guy on a treadmill who was totally perfect. And he was just flying and biomechanically, he looked absolutely perfect. And we just happened to sync up that I was riding for the hour and he was running for an hour. And afterwards I went over and I introduced myself and I said to him, like, how fast were you just going? And and he said, 10. And I went, those weren't 10-minute miles. Do you mean 10 miles per hour? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So I said, so you're just doing 6-minute miles for the last hour. So you just ran 10 miles. He goes, yeah. And I said, wow, like, who do you run for? And he goes, oh, I don't, I'm not on a team. And I said, well, what's your 5K PR? And he said, what's a PR? <laughs> and, and we just so I, then I realized we talked a little bit more and I realized like this guy had never run a race he didn't know anything he was just there for fun and again going back to what I said about your wife and you I, I, I basically ended the conversation saying I'm going to make you a star and you're going to make me look smarter than I am and that was Christopher Berglund who like I said at the time had not run a race had not done anything um, fast forward a few years he um started doing running races, started doing triathlons. He did many an Ironman. He won a triple Ironman three times, including setting a course record. And then sort of the, the, the real sort of high point of his athletic career, which was also the end of it, um, was he set the 24-hour treadmill world record. He ran 153.76 miles on a treadmill in 24 hours straight through which was to this day is one of the most amazing things that I've ever watched. He, he was so dialed in and it it was, it was amazing to watch, you know, again, I've alluded to before, like his physical ability and how perfect he looked and, and I had him in a lab and he was impressive, but his mental game is what set him aside, set, set him apart from everybody. 
Um, we can almost do a whole episode on that. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like, like, like. I just mean like that that whole treadmill thing and Keels and he was with what's his name. Um, Dean Carnazzi's was on the Dean the next Carnazzi. treadmill. And I always say, Chris, like Dean was. And I'm not taking anything away from Dean, but he was an, a brilliant, he was a really good athlete and a brilliant marketer. Like Chris was very more, much more modest, and but Absolutely. in my opinion, a much better, better athlete, but just not. But more into the, I think he even had a book about like the brain and pathways and all this. And he was obviously a really smart guy too. Um, yeah. Oh, well, Christopher. Well, it's funny because Christopher's father was a, a prominent neurosurgeon and he wrote a book that uh, called the, the athlete's way um, that sort of looked at athletics in general and some of his exploits yeah. and, and sort of looked at the neuroscience behind it a little bit. Yeah. So anyone, if you look up Chris Berglund, I, like I, like I said, we should, maybe we should, I mean, I'd love to have him on. Cause I was, that was one of the, I tell, tell people that story. I didn't see the end, but I saw, I walked by a couple of times when he was doing it in the, in the window there. What was it, was it 18th street? I forget. Yeah, 13th, street. 13th, 13th street, 13th street and third um, Avenue in, in Manhattan. Yeah. Right in the store window there. You are. All right. So, um, so with that said, like, um, obviously through the, the 30 years, you, you've worked with a lot of athletes doing the New York City Marathon. Obviously, you lived in the Bronx, uh, upper Manhattan, um, and been in Central Park probably more times than you could ever, <laughs> ever imagine with your group runs and all these things and just being a part of that. And that was one of the reasons, um, one of the reasons, many reasons why I wanted to have you on, talk a little bit about the New York City Marathon um, and uh, and just really um the logistic from the logistics of the start to the you know the race itself but i thought what better place to start would be like like people coming into town um leading up to the race um right up to the point of like they're getting on a ferry and um, anything to add in that kind of like part of the of the the journey if you may sure i mean it really is it's a, it's a great race, but I, I always say that, that it's really more, you know, as much of an event as anything. And it really does present a, a, a whole series of logistical challenges. And um, yeah, you know, you touched on it. I live in the Bronx. I lived in Manhattan. I lived in Brooklyn. I've been around this race forever and, um, and I'm sort of used to it and it's still tricky for me, just even as a spectator and coach, it's to, to, to sort of navigate it. Um, but yeah, if you're coming in from out of town, it can be a real overwhelming experience. And there are, you know, some of it is just nature of the beast and some of it, look, you athletes, marathoners are going to be nervous, uh, you know, even in a small, you know, you know, small town race. But yeah. when you're out there with 50,000 of your best friends, it becomes that much more overwhelming when you're out on the Verrazano bridge, sometimes in less than ideal conditions for quite a while before the start of the race it presents some challenges. So, um, you know, and again, some of it I think is just sort of nature of the beast and it's inherent to it. So don't, you know, I always tell folks like, don't fight it. Don't just like I tell them, don't fight nervousness before a race. It's just, it's going to happen and you're not going to win that fight. Um, but there are some things that you can do, you know, some pitfalls that, that you can avoid. I, I always tell folks, certainly the New Yorkers, um, you know, I always counsel to get to the expo the second it opens. Um, it's much less crowded Thursday morning than it's going to be Saturday um, when all those out of towners are, are here already. Yeah. Um, so if if you have that that sort of home court advantage, or if you happen to get to New York early and you can get to the expo sooner rather than later, by all means do that. Um, 
I love race expos when I'm coaching or I'm not racing or I'm just having a good time because, yeah, there's lots of free stuff. You can hang out. You can do lots of things. Um, so, yeah, I'll go hang out and spend all day. But if, if folks are racing, I would really advise them get their free stuff, get what they need to for the race, get their number, all that stuff. Ask any questions. The Roadrunners Help Desk is great for stuff like that. But but get out. That's I, I've had really smart people say things to me like, Oh, I tried this new, the, the, they, they gave me a bunch of free bars. So I tried them and my stomach felt funny on Thursday. Like, that's maybe not the thing to do. And, <laughs> or, I mean, I, I literally, I had one runner who was, who was a really intelligent woman telling me um, about how she was sore on Friday because there was some new treadmill that she was trying out and she was <laughs> running real. And, and again, I mean, these are things that you chuckle at, that I chuckle at, but it, it amazes me that, that sometimes in the heat of the moment, really smart people do not so smart things. So, yeah. you know, and, and when I talk to groups about these things and I, I give them and, and I, I point out things like that and people sort of roll their eyes and like, like, well, of course, what am I, an idiot? But like all these things that I talk about, people have done. So no, I don't say it because I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I know that they're not stupid people, but I know, like I said, smart people do not so smart things. So yeah, get to the expo, get in, get out, get there early. Plus, you're, like, you're in a new city, you're excited, and they met, the, the expo is is pretty cool. You know, there's Absolutely. a lot going on, and you, you can get caught up in it. So it's just something to keep in the back yeah. of your mind. And it, but it's, it's, it's really cool, but it's also, you know, it's this echo chamber of nerves. And, yeah. you know, and, and the other thing that happens is, okay, you're picking up your number, I'm picking up my number. I hear you in front of me and you're talking to your buddy and you say how you did three 22 mile runs. And I'm thinking, Oh, I never went over 20 and oh, that guy looks fast. And now suddenly I'm questioning my training and yeah. you know, and it's just people come back to, Oh, I went to the expo. This guy said this, that guy at the booth said that I met another runner. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's a great environment if you're hanging out and not racing. But if you are, yeah, like I said, I'm all about free stuff. Get the free stuff and and get on out of there if you can. Um, but you know, other things like again, sort of you know the the sort of New Yorkers tips, like you know, take care of of everything you can. Get your dinner reservation for Saturday night. Get that early. Like restaurants, and again, you got a lot of people in from out of town, and I, I've heard so many times people say. Oh yeah, I ended up eating late. I had to wait for an hour at this restaurant just to go get a meal. And it's like get that stuff taken care of early. Figure out where you want to go. Have your little sort of ritual pasta dinner, and that's that's great. But yeah, don't don't be out later than you want to because you didn't figure out where you're going to do it. Plan those things in advance. Stay off your feet as much as you can on the Saturday before the race. Um, you know, and, and even things like, you know, when you get over there, you know, you, some people, usually the easiest way to get to the race is to just take the Staten Island Ferry um, and then they throw you on a bus from there. Um, but, yeah, you know, depending on it's a little premature to know what the weather will be. But, yeah, you know, have some throwaway clothes because you're going to be on that bridge for a while and it's going to be cold. You're you're up there. It's unprotected. It's windy. It's It's cooler than, than it's going to be. Have some th- clothes you can throw away. Bring toilet paper is another one that people like. You know, you sort of, I always tell people camp out close to the porta potty, but not cl- too close to the porta potty because <laughs> that that nice fresh porta potty isn't going to be so fresh in an hour. Um, but yeah, bring bring a little stash of toilet paper because you know it, it, you may need it, or that poor slob next to you may need it, and you'll be his best friend if you if you give him a few squares. All those types of things that again they sound silly, but whatever you can do to minimize the stress 
um, it, you know, it is helpful and you don't want to, you know, why are you going to start a, a, an already stressful 26.2 mile race freaking out because you, you know, you, you, b- because you you were on the bridge and you, and your teeth were chattering the whole time and, you know, or, yeah. or stuff like that. And you could potentially be there a while. I mean, they, they do a pretty good job. Like Dunkin' Donuts is set up there yeah. and there's, there's, you know, there's things going on, but you know, you're still, you still could be there and you may need to sit on the ground, which makes it maybe even a little cooler. So. Yeah. And yeah. And again, if you have some throwaway clothes and stuff that you can bring and, and again, Roadrunners does a great job there. They collect all the clothes. So people, people drop clothes on the Verrazano, they donate them, the, all the clothes, they collect them and donate them. So, uh, but you know, yeah, get, get some like painters overalls or some, some, you know, painters coveralls or some old clothes that you're not going to use again. And just, you know, wear that, bring it. Some people will even bring like a cardboard box to sit on because like you said, you're down there and yeah, it's, it's cold. And, and my other insider tip that, that, that I always, uh, you know, people roll their eyes, but then they see it is if you're on the lower level of the bridge, this, this is basically, <laughs> oh, no. you know where I'm going. This, this, if you need one soundbite for the whole, for the whole thing, this is it. If you're on the lower level of the bridge, Stay away from the edge of the bridge because you are standing. You're you're below the world's largest urinal, and there there are always guys who are too impatient to wait for the porta potty, and they're going to take a leak off the side of the bridge, and you're below them. Yeah, and you don't you don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, I always joke like yeah, I was I, I keep saying how it's an inherently stressful event. Well, you know, running twenty six point two miles, having been doused in someone else's urine, is probably not <laughs> the best way to do it. It's probably not the way you envisioned it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because people always say to me, oh, no, that's a myth. That doesn't happen. I'm like, well, people do pee. I've seen them peeing off the bridge and gravity being what it is. like, Even if it is a if it is a myth, I'm still not going to I'm not gonna just, test just, that one. Just stay away from the end. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not the kind of thing you want to test out. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, I, I actually had the opportunity to, for the first – I never – I lived in Manhattan for seven years. I just I – just, I was always at part of the expo, so never really part of the race. So I, I actually, for the first time, hopped in it um, a couple of years ago, and I, I couldn't believe. You really just can't believe it till you're there. Like the, the the effort that goes into the the volunteers and just getting everybody to the start and just bringing people in the corrals and it it really is. It's 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 an it's insane, but it can be overwhelming. Um, and uh, it, any, I get this asked a lot. You, driving to the to the start, have you ever known anyone like people are like, "Oh, I don't want to wait that long." Like, is that something that you, you have recommended or heard? No, people do? I mean, you. Some of the the bigger clubs and stuff will will rent a bus and <laughs> yeah. and and get people out there. But you know, the bridges close. The the Verrazano closes really early, um, so you don't end up saving time. You may save a little aggravation, and yes, you can be on a nice bus, but you're probably going to have an earlier call than if you were taking the ferry. Yeah. Um, And even that, I mean, even for the elites and the sub elites there, I mean, they, they meet, they have to be at the, 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 I think they leave from the library if I'm not mistaken. And they have to, they, they get up there ridiculously early. I mean, one of my runners last year, you know, I got her the, the sub elite start and, you know, she's like, Oh, but now I'm going to, actually have to get up even earlier than I would otherwise. Now, again, I mean, she was in the, the cushy tent and all they, they were nice yeah. talk about it, but, but it's hard. And what's crazy is even if you're coming from Staten Island, that was Mike Cassidy who runs for, uh, I guess he's with Nyack now. Um, mm-hmm. and the fastest guy on Staten Island when he had the elites, the, or the sub elite start, whatever it was. Um, yeah, the year he, he, had, I think he had made the, 
the Olympic trials qualifier time and everything, lives on Staten Island. But to get to the elite start, had to go to Manhattan to then take the bus back to Staten Island. Oh, so, yeah, driving. If you, they I mean, wouldn't let them. They yeah, wouldn't. if you can stay on Staten Island and you're not having and you're just starting with the masses, you might yeah. be able to get away with it. But, yes, if you have family on Staten Island, you got someone where you, where you can stay with them. But otherwise, for, for most folks, you're better off just take the, take the ferry and deal with it. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. So we're at the start. Um, we're getting ready to hear the gun here. Um, uh, let's get down to the, the nitty gritty and the race itself. Like any, I, it it was it was pretty cool running over the bridge. I mean, just um, that, that was an experience. I think everyone should should uh, should should definitely try to shoot for. Um, that was that was a lot of fun seeing the city over to your left. But but uh, you know, from the start and the, and the you know the beginning part of the race, any any tips there? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the first tip I would say is that that first mile, it, you know, look, you, you alluded to it. You're you're looking over, you're seeing New York City. It's this huge race. The the cannon goes off, and it's really loud if you're anywhere near it. By the way, um, and they're playing New York, New York, and your adrenaline is pumping, and you're running mile one, which, by the way, is has the greatest elevation gain of the whole race of of any yeah. any single mile in the race. And with all those factors going in, it's really easy to run too fast on mile one. And it's also really easy to screw up your whole race on mile one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's and it's funny because I give that advice to just about every runner at just about every race is, hey, don't go out too hard, um, especially in a marathon. Don't go out too hard. But, yeah, it's like I said, it's compounded in New York with everything going on. Um, and it's so easy, you know, for that, that three thirty marathon or who's looking to run eight minute miles and they say, Oh yeah, I ran seven fifty five in mile one. That wasn't too bad. Or like, but yeah, but you went, that, that was your biggest elevation gain in the whole race. You shouldn't be running seven fifty five. You shouldn't be running anywhere near your overall goal pace, yeah. but that's a, it's a really, it's, it's a hard thing under any circumstances, but especially with everything going on. So yeah, that you got to really resist that temptation at all costs. And then the second one gets humming too. So yeah. like, if you really look at it, you could almost if you go if you're nervous about going eight twenty for the like if you are in that looking to shoot for eight, you could you could I'm not saying maybe that's a little bit of a bit of an exaggeration, but eight ten to seven fifty on the second one as opposed to the first one maybe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly want. It's pretty one. downhill, right? Like, yeah, it's, mile two, you're going. Yeah, it's it's now the the downside of the Verrazano. Um, so yeah, you you should be a little bit faster um, than overall goal pace on mile two, and then thankfully you sort of settle in. Um, at that point, you've now entered. You've exited Staten Island. You're in Brooklyn, and the nice part is now Fourth Avenue is wide open. It's flat. It's fast, and you can find a rhythm. So yeah. You know, I, I'd rather the runners be real conservative for, obviously, as I keep saying, for the uphill, but even for the downhill. Don't go crazy on the downhill. Yeah. But then once you get through with that, that's when you can find your rhythm. You can re, re, and, and it's, yes, it's crowded, but but it's pretty wide. It's very wide on 4th Avenue. So it gives you an opportunity to to sort of feel where you should be and, and, and you know, and get that, that, that right pace going. Yeah. And and it's and it's very energetic too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, and you, and you finally, you know, yeah. even though I mean, I, I keep alluding to how crazy the adrenaline can be and and how exciting it is on uh, on the Verrazano, but yeah, then suddenly you get into Brooklyn and you're met with those crowds, and there's going to be another adrenaline, you know, burst. There's going to be all, all that noise and stuff, and yeah, the crowds are especially if you're if you're not used to big races, the crowds on Fourth Avenue. 
uh, yeah, can be pretty overwhelming. Funny, real quick, funny story that the race I was just telling you about when I did the race, I was on the upper level. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I don't, they didn't, I didn't get seated properly. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. And I was, I was in the front, I was in the very front of my, of my wave, um, on the top. So like when the gun went off, I was, I was in the, I was in the lead, uh, on the top of the bridge. That must and I remember cool. thinking like, this is what it feels like to be winning the New York city marathon. I looked to my left, there's like downtown Manhattan. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. Cause I was really worried. Cause I was in this wave where I didn't realize it. And I was kind of dumb on my part. But that's the other thing is like, understand what your wave is, understand what your pace is and understand where you're going to be. But to that point, I was like, this is, this is great. Like I'm by myself. And then I was running along fourth Avenue by myself and then it merges. Right. So that kind of brings us up to the, the point and segues us into there. It gets a little different once we get into closer to Atlantic Avenue. Right. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you've got the, the, the two different lanes or the two different sides of fourth yeah. Avenue and, you know, and, and, and as you alluded to, you've got the upper level and the, the lower level of the Verrazano and everything sort of comes together. And, um, and yeah, it, it can be a little bit confusing. It can be, I, I mean, I keep using the word overwhelming, but, um, yeah, you, you sounds like you, you experienced it where, yeah, there, there's that little stagger there and it can be a little bit different. And then I was like, Oh, okay. And there's yeah, there, 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 people there, running yeah, 11 minute miles. Yeah. But, you like, know, and, and, but that also is another point that I make to folks. And, you know, look, you, you were talking about how you were, you know, at, at the front on the Verrazano and that's, I mean, that must've been pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but most of the folks are going to be the opposite. Most folks are going to be looking at the people in front of them and giving them death stares. And, and, you know, but one of the most common pitfalls, you know, I, I love it when someone says to me after the race, they go, Oh, I think the race was long. My GPS says 26.8 miles. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that the New York city marathon, like they probably got that. <laughs> They've measured it. Right. They, they probably double checked. I think they just redid it, didn't they? they changed it. I don't know if they've made yeah. any other modifications, but, but point being that, you know, and some of that is folks who don't run the tangents, which, yeah. which again, I mean, if we want to fast forward to Queens, that happens a lot there. But, but the other thing is you've got all this energy on the Verrazano. There's people in front of you and suddenly you're zigging and zagging and you get to the, you know, the spot where it says one mile and your GPS is already up at 1.1 something because you yeah. have energy. And again, at that point, it feels like nothing, but you're going to want 26.2 is plenty of distance. You don't need to make it into a longer race. So, yeah. and, and the other thing is, and it's, I, I rarely say, gee, how great it is to have a longer race. But you know what? If, if you get stuck behind, let's say you're the opposite of what you're discussing, you described, and you're a, a little farther back in the crowd than you want to be or should be. And you're stuck behind people who are too slow. If you run the first mile, 30 seconds slow, who cares? It's a second of mile the rest of the yeah. way that you have to make up. I'd much rather my runner get a little frustrated but conserve their energy um, until things thin out a little bit versus zigging and zagging, running extra distance, and then regretting it. 20 miles later and you will regret it It, it's way more and and now so now you're using different muscles to jump side to side too which is like a whole different you know like a whole different conversation but yeah it's it's not what you're the way you're used to running either so it it just um it changes everything so i i I 100 agree with that um and it it's uh 
and then from there, there's a, there's a few turns. Um, it kind of winds through through Brooklyn, right? Right. So you you, you have Fourth Avenue. You turn um, past. I guess it's now condos, but it's the old Williamsburg Savings Bank, which is a sort of landmark building uh, at Flatbush uh, Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. Um, so, like I said, from the, the the entire length of Fourth Avenue through there, it's 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 flat. It's steady. You found that rhythm. You then turn um, and you hit mile 10 at it's Bedford Avenue, but it's still flat. It's still fast. And, you know, and, and hopefully, I mean, I'm always telling my runners, like mile 10, I expect you to feel great. Um, and there, there's nothing about that race until then. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, and my biggest concern actually is every once in a while, I get the, the, the runner who says, you know, I was feeling great, so I decided to change the plan at mile eight. And I'm like, no, that, that doesn't usually work well either. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it, it remains flat and fast. Um, and really the first challenging section you'll have um, is when you reach the Pulaski Bridge, which is the halfway point and is where you enter Queens. So until then, like I said, with the exception of that, the, the Verrazano, the, the Brooklyn section is, is flat, it's fast. Um, you get to the Pulaski Bridge, which, first of all, it, uh, there's a little bit of an incline on the Pulaski itself. Yeah. Again, nothing terrible, but yeah, what what feels like nothing when it's mile three of a training run is a little different. I did a little little training run, I think, with a group in Manhattan. I think it starts like and then it does like the last ten. Mm-hmm. I remember someone turning me and says, "I thought the 59th Street Bridge would be a little steeper than this." And I was like, <laughs> "Wait, wait for it." <laughs> now we're not. What I'm <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry to sorry to disappoint you. This is a little bit of a hill, but this is not... yeah. Um, and so yeah, the Pulaski and and the other thing that's always funny is is because you do hit thirteen point one on the Pulaski, and the couple of times that I've been over there is people sort of pick up their pace because um, they want to hit that half marathon mark at a certain time. And which again, like I'd much rather you conserve your energy. Um, it, it, yeah, it's not quite necessary there. But when you do get to Queens. Um, so there's you know, a little challenge on the Pulaski, but Queens itself um, has a lot of turns. And again, going back to the the the, the sort of the the theme of conserving your energy and not not wasting anything is you know I, I always want my runners to be attentive to running the tangents. And mm-hmm. again, don't make that 26.2 mile race any longer than 26.2 miles. Um, you'll also see some people cutting it too tight and going over the sidewalks. I'm not. Not not condoning that, but yeah, keep keep it as close to the curb as you can when you're going through those turns, um, and um, you know, and and work those tangents uh, to the best of your ability. Um, but there are there are a fair amount of turns through Queens, um, and you're you're only in Queens for a couple of miles. But then again, you alluded to the, the Queensboro bridge, the 59th street bridge, or the Ed Koch bridge, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Now it is. Is. Yeah, yeah. I um, say, even calling it the 50th. I just like messed well, that yeah, up. It's, it's, that's okay. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, I suppose officially it's now the Ed Koch bridge, but um, yeah, the Simon and Garfunkel song is still, still <laughs> hasn't changed their name, but yeah, you know, you touch on it and that is a, that is a particularly tough spot on the course for a lot of people um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you're now 15 you know, plus miles in. So, um, you know, presumably your body is starting to realize that it's it's going to be out there for a while. Um, and you do have a significant incline on, on the bridge itself. Um, 
And then also it's the first time since the, the Verrazano where there's no crowd out there. So it's quiet. It's also dark. Um, it's an incline and you've been out there for a while. So that's a, a, a section that a lot of runners tend to find very challenging. Um, and, and I don't mean to overstate it. I, I think as long as you go in there and you know that it's there and, and you know to expect it, you know, there, there's nothing there that, that a well-prepared runner can't handle. But if you don't know to expect the darkness, the quiet, the incline, then I think it can be a little bit overwhelming and people talk about it. Yeah, a, you're a, hearing a the voices crowd. in your head a lot more than you are the crowd and you start to do some math and you're like, hmm, like, and uh, you feel for the first time you're not feeling as good as you, because a lot of flat, like you said, and all of a sudden you're like, what, 10 miles to go? Oh, this is, oh, and I just slowed down and oh, and you start doing that, the, the calculations and it's really easy to, to let it get inside your head. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Those, those demons start, you know, and then, you know, that's also a spot where, as you said, you start doing the math and now maybe, okay, you're not going to hit that PR. You're not going to hit your goal. And then, okay, that happens sometimes, but it's important to then you, you don't, you don't let it spiral. You don't start going, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to be, you know, I, I'm not going to hit my, you know, what happens so often is runners will say, okay, I'm not going to hit my goal, my A goal. And then, they just let things spiral instead of, okay, I'm not going to hit my A goal. Let me make a slight adjustment and do the best I can. Yeah. You've got that darkness. You've got that. It, it's a bad spot. And yeah. yeah, you, you, and you can just sort of let down mentally a lot there. And, um, but again, and I don't, I don't mean to oversell it or make it sound, you know, I don't want anyone listening to this, you know, freaking out and dreading it, but you know, I, I, I just think, like I said, it's just something that you need to, to know and expect. And, and the good part, you know, the, 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 the payoff is once you get across the, the, the 59th Street Bridge, it's really loud. You've now got yeah. on First Avenue in Manhattan, and the, you sometimes hear it referred to as the wall of sound, and the crowd there is really, really loud and enthusiastic and um, probably even louder than it was on 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. And um, it, it's it's a nice spot. So, yes, if those demons have been talking to you, it's a good it's a good spot to drown them out. Yeah, it goes from like one of the worst parts of the course to like one of the coolest. Yeah, because um, you're, you're kind of a you're kind of above First Avenue at that point. You can kind of even see down First Avenue, and and just it's six seven deep of people for as far as you can see. And um, I once <clears throat> I forget who it was, but it was an, a mar- an elite marathoner who said that that was actually the worst part for him because he was so excited and he was like either in the lead or pretty close um where the crowd and he was super pumped and just like he let the adrenaline kind of get him going and he just i think he blew it might have been it was a it was a mile that was too fast but you know but or a mile or two um but to me that's so important to to hear you say that and to hear someone like him say that because you know, again, I know I come off like I'm talking to Sesame Street when I say, hey, don't let the adrenaline get the best of you. But now you're talking about a world-class athlete who it happened to. Um, and, and, it, and it can. And it, it's just yeah. it's human nature. Even and, if you feel good through that mile, your body is still you know, burning the extra, extra sugar and there's all you know, things going on that it's a weird part for me. And not that you jump ahead, but I thought when you, when you – there was this really exciting part. And then it, and then it does get a little quieter as you go over into um, the Bronx. Yeah. Too. And, and you're kind of like, oh, crap, again. Right. So. And even as you head up First Avenue. So once you, you, you get that, the, 
the you get to First Avenue and you've got a very subtle uphill for a little about a mile, mile and a quarter, and then a little downhill. But it's it's that really is pretty subtle. Um, and then I think you know from 96th up to the Willis Avenue Bridge, which is what takes you into uh, into the Bronx. There you have a tiny little net elevation. That's about mile 20. Yeah, uh, you hit mile. You're you're in the Bronx at mile 20. Yeah. Um, so you get in there a little before mile 20, you hit mile 20 in the Bronx, but you, but you're right. The, the volume, the, the sound definitely dissipates north of 96th street, um, up through the one twenties. It's like 18 miles yeah. at like 96th yeah. street. And it's, it's, it's certainly louder than it used to be there, but it, yeah. it's, it's, it's not as loud. And then the, the Bronx tends to also be a little bit quieter. And I've, I, let's put it this way. I've rarely had anyone say, Wow, the Bronx was my favorite part of the marathon. It's just not, yeah. you know, you've got a few turns. It's not as loud. Um, you're only there for a couple of miles, and I mean, again, there's nothing that you can't handle. But yeah, you know, look, I don't care what the crowd is. You're at mile twenty of a marathon. It's you've gotten to a, a challenging section at that point. Yeah. Um, you come back into so, yeah, like I said, you take the the Willis Avenue Bridge into the Bronx. You pass mile twenty. You exit the Bronx via the Madison Avenue Bridge, and just as you're going down the Madison Avenue Bridge, you hit mile 21 um, and re-enter, re-enter Manhattan. Um, for what it's worth, you'll see my smiling face. For anyone in front, I'll be off on the runner's right about a block south of the exit there. So, um, and Look for the red and the shirt to the three-legged go. dog. There you go. That's us. Um, and, yeah, we'll be on the runner's right. And... Um, you know, and, and look, and we are there, we've been there for years because in fact, it's not the loudest part of the course. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, we always feel like, you know, yeah, if I'm out on first Avenue and 63rd street, no one's going to notice if I'm there or I'm not, you know, hopefully when we've got our little group out on, on, you know, at mile 21, where yeah, presumably the runners aren't feeling their freshest and the crowd isn't super loud yet. Um, we feel like, you know, we're, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and it's also just, I mean, from a self-serving point of view, it's easy for me to see and be seen, um, around Mm -hmm. there, but, and the good part there. Okay. So yes, from a physical point of view, yeah, you've still got five miles to go and it's, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk, but the crowd, which, you know, again, I, I've been saying sort of the recurring theme the whole time is don't let your adrenaline get the best of you. Don't let the crowd take you out of your game. Now for the next five miles, yeah, use that crowd. That, and again, the crowd will just get louder and louder and louder as you go down Fifth Avenue. Um, like I said, we're at 135th through, we're at 136, 137th Street, but you're heading down and the crowd gets louder and louder and louder. Um you go around Marcus Garvey Park, you, you reconnect to Fifth Avenue, um, you go into Central Park, it's getting really crazy loud at that point. Um, and so, yeah, now now that crowd is is your friend. Um, yeah. That crowd that I've been warning everyone about, suddenly they're, they're your friend. The other thing that, just to take a step back to before entering Central Park, that section on Fifth Avenue, I, I have all the time, I have, you know, I, I say to people, you know, remember you've got a, a little incline on Fifth Avenue, and they go, oh no, I drive that all the time. There's no hill. And well, yeah, okay. If, yeah. You know, in a, in a motor vehicle, there's no hill. Um, you know, it, it's not perceptible, but it's the worst kind of hill. It, yeah, it's really? unrelenting. And it, again, it's subtle. It's only a one or two percent grade, but it's enough that at mile twenty two, you're not loving it. Um, and again, it's nothing they can't handle, but it's just something to be aware of. And and if you don't expect it, 
then you go, oh, wow, this where'd this come from? Um, but again, I just keep the, 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 the mantra to me is just like, remember, the farther south you go, the deeper and louder the crowds are going to be and they're going to be working with you. Um, you enter. So but you do have that that uphill that slight uphill from like one tenth down to 90th Street, which is Engineers Gate, which is mm-hmm. where you then enter Central Park. And now you have literally it's it's downhill from there. Um, yeah. you, you've got a couple of little d- nice descents. Um, you've got a, a really loud crowd in Central Park. Um, but you still have some running to do. And that's why, oh, yeah. I, like, it's it's because you think, oh, I'm here. I'm at Central Park. I'm, like, at the finish. Um, and if you don't know Central Park, you know, it's it can be, um, like, obviously, I think you're right. Like, you kind of want to get to Central Park. But I just, you know, you're still at, what, mile 23? 23, 23 yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yes. Don't, don't, don't you know, kick in your finishing <laughs> just just because you hit Central Park. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's, you do think like, Oh, you, if you, again, if you're not from Manhattan or you're not even from Manhattan, you've never spent some time in Central Park. It's a, it's a big park. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, big but park, you know, big it's city, bigger, yeah. bigger than you think. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And it's, again, I'm sort of, you know, the numb to it having lived here my whole yeah. life, but you're right. It's, it's a big park and yeah, you get there, you still have a few miles and you do actually, you do, you briefly exit Central Park, um, yeah. down to Central Park South at the, the 50, you know, at 59th Street, you run along, you run along the bottom of the park before re-entering and you don't do, the, presumably no one listening to this will be leading the race so you don't do the Herman Silva make the wrong turn into the park like he did that time. Um, and then, yes, once you re-enter Central Park, then you can start, you know, th- then you're just a few hundred yards away. Then you can yeah. sort of kick it in, but... But uh, yeah, you're you're right. It's it, it. You still do have a few miles in one of the park cool, in there. It's got to be one of the coolest finishes of any race in the world, um, if not the. Um, at that point, you should definitely take it all in. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and I think that's honestly, I think that is something for for the whole race that I tell people is you know take it in. It's cool. It's it's you know I had, mm-hmm. I think the only time I ever ran it was I, I was the fitness director for the police department back in the 90s and you know, through 2004 and so after 9-11 i decided to run it and ran it with my nypd singlet you know just a couple of mm-hmm. months after 9-11 and and it's funny man i went there i was literally limping going to the starting line i knew that it was going to be a long day at the office um i mean i'm just a middle of the pack runner anyway and i was nowhere yeah. near being healthy but but it was just something as a New Yorker I wanted to experience that year. And, yeah. um, but, and I really did take it in and, you know, that year in particular was special, but just overall, I mean, it's, it's an amazing event. So yes, if you're there, you know, and, and I know I'm sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm the one who says, yeah, don't, don't go zigging and zagging and, don't go high-fiving the crowds just because they're there and all that stuff and don't waste that energy. You know? um, but yeah, if you can take it in, if you can, if you can appreciate what's going on, I mean, you've got millions of people out on the course cheering for you. It's, it's this amazing thing. Yeah, this iconic finish at Tavern on the Green. Yeah, appreciate it. It's, it's a really wonderful yeah. event. I always, I always said to people, and, and this is even before I did it, but this is like, I, but I gathered, I felt like I, I would always listen to people's experience there. And many times I would hear people say, hey, you know what? I wish I, I was trying to go there and run whatever it was. 
I kind of wish I just went and ran the race. And I, and I think there's something to be said for that now that, you know, that I, that I've experienced it is, uh, is, and I'm not advocating that you shouldn't go there and use that race as maybe like a way, um, to, to run fast or run, you know, a certain time, obviously that's part of the sport, but sure. there's something to be said for just go. If this is, if you were going to have a race that you just go and run, maybe you run hard, but like you just take it all in and you're not so worried about your time and you like really experience it. You know, I've always said that this is, this is one of those races where like you can, I think you would really appreciate that kind of an approach. Absolutely. Look, um, I, I'm an uptight purist in a lot of ways, but yeah, I, I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. And look, I've got a few people who ran Berlin, um, who said, but I'm signed up for New York. I'm like, good. You know what? Run New York. That's just a long training run. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Take it all in. Um, yeah. So yes, if, if you don't need to, you know, or the same way sometimes people will, you know, you've got that carrot dangling out there of I want to get my Boston qualifier, but then they go to Boston and they don't run anywhere near their qualifying time. They just go because they, they yeah. cross it off their list. They, they have that accomplishment and now they they can cross off their bucket list. I ran the Boston Marathon, but they don't go in there looking to run a representative time. They're just there to enjoy it and have fun. I don't think that's a, a crazy idea at all. I mean, it's if you go yeah. to some little rinky-dink race, yeah, go race it or, or why bother? But yeah, for New York, I, I can certainly understand that approach. I just so, think yeah. it's that the, the sort of, I don't think you can be half pregnant. I, I, don't, I think if you're going to do New York yeah. as a race, race it and mm-hmm. try and take advantage of the the crowds when you can but yeah don't go high-fiving and hugging everybody and going crazy um or just take it in and enjoy it but that sort of that hybrid half pregnant approach is not likely to work very well it's not a particularly and relatively speaking it wouldn't call it a fast race no but of course no it's not Berlin. it's not chicago but it's also you know it's it's not it's not a an inordinately hard course either yeah it's fair yeah, fair, fair is good. Fair is good. I like that. <laughs> but people are always looking for un like, sure. like overly fair. Oh yeah, I, w- I want that downhill, the you know, downhill, that, that downhill like, with, the back. with the tailwind guaranteed. Of course, that's what I want. <laughs> All right, so now we're at the finish. Anything, anything of uh, of note there? It's gonna be a while. <laughs> I think they, now, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think just sort of now, now you now is the time to be patient because yeah, it's gonna take a while to get out. You don't unlike almost every other race in the world where you finish and you walk off the course, you can't do that. You have a good little ways to walk um, north before they will let you out of the park. And they've gone to the sort of two systems. If you, if, if you go with the poncho system, um, you, you can get out a little earlier. If you've got a checked bag, it's going to be even harder. Um, but even under the best of circumstances, yeah, you're going to be there for a little while. So they will do everything they can to, make your life pseudo comfortable and there, there will be water, there'll be something to eat or, you know, uh, but you will, you, you've got a little trek and just, again, I, I, I keep saying it, but just, just know that it's there. No, no to expect yeah. it. And, and yeah, it's, it's a little frustrating. And if, and if the weather isn't great, it's not, it's not ideal. Um, but yeah, they are going to make you walk and you know, it's nothing else you get your cool down in. It, it can be it can be um depending on what you, option you took like upward, upwards of a mile right before yeah. you actually exit the park yeah it is yeah. yes i guess it's probably i think it depending exactly where you're out but yeah it's 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 close to it yeah yeah no i think that that's important to know and, and like you said just just be aware of it and 
Um, the just, yeah, if you know what's there, you yep. might not be as upset when you're there. Um, so excellent stuff. Um, so a lot of, uh, because it's such a great event and, um, you know, maybe we're traveling with some people or there's people in town who friends and family want to watch us. Any, any, any thoughts there as to uh, tips, um, for watching the race for, for friends and family? Sure. Um, couple things. Um, it, it does, you know, we, we talked about how you go when you enter Manhattan, you go up first Avenue, you come down fifth Avenue. So if folks want to see you twice, you can take advantage, they can take advantage of that. So they can watch you going North on first Avenue. When you pass them there, they can, they can walk over to fifth Avenue because they, they take the short route. You, you're, you're taking the long way there. Um, yeah. but they do get the opportunity to see you a couple of times. Um, so that's, that's one nice thing to do. Some people will get more creative and hop on the subway so they can see, uh, yeah. for instance, fourth Avenue in, in Brooklyn and then head into Manhattan, that kind of thing. Um, but the, uh, so if, if folks want to see you multiple times, that's one way to pull it off that some other races that might not be as easy. And you um, don't have to run, right? Like you can, you can pull that off and still move, like move at a. Oh, if, you, if you're doing the first Avenue grand. to Fifth Avenue, yeah, you could walk that yeah. and get there faster than even a fast runner will. How about the Fourth Avenue? That um, if you if you stay over on the east side of Fourth Avenue, so that you can then get on the train, because crossing Fourth Avenue on foot is is a real challenge. And, yeah. Um, but if you're on the right side, um, literally and figuratively, um, the the right side of Fourth Avenue, and you can hop on the train into Manhattan. Um, you can certainly pull that off faster than they're going to run it as well. Um, depending on exactly right where side, you're if, you're, if you're heading north, yeah. So the run, the runner's right, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. The, or the east side of Fourth Avenue. Yeah. Um, and this way, when you hop on the train, it's going in the the correct direction. Um, so yeah, if, if folks want to see you multiple times, they can do that. Uh, honestly, I'd still opt for you know I alluded to before how yeah we we're up on 137th Street because it's not as populous and my runners can see me. Um, if you're six deep on first Avenue and you, you know, if, if the crowd is six deep on first Avenue and their runners going by, they might not see them at all. I mean, you can track them on the, on the app and whatever, but the runner might not see you. So personally, I'd rather just be stationary, see my people once, but be a place where I can be visible. Um, so to me that, that, you know, I, I, and I think again, like I said before, you're, you're, you're giving them more of a boost if you're at a spot where it's a little quieter, where it's a little less populous than if you do it where it's already loud and raucous and crazy. So um, depending on the strategy, but that to me, that's what I would do. I would, I would just go up to the Bronx or I would go the North part of Harlem or something like that, where you, where, you know, if, if I were a spectator where you can be a little more productive, I, I suppose. Um, and the How far other- would you say you have to go on first Avenue for it to be, a situation where like you could be visible if you're north of it starts to thin out around 96th street if i were going to watch on first avenue i'd go to 110th you know and, and yeah 110th to 125th somewhere in that range um yeah. if you if you want a, a thinner crowd um and then like i said you can walk walk straight across over to fifth avenue and you'll catch them again and there's still yeah. you know again there you've got a shorter gap if you do it at you know for argument's sake at night yeah if you do it at 96th street you walk across um, you've got more time before the runner goes north into the Bronx and back yeah. south. If you do it at 110th Street, they've got another, you know, they've got a mile and a half less running time. So you might need to, 
to 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 hoof it a little bit, but it's still it's still much shorter for the spectator than it is for the marathoner. Yeah. Um, and the other, yeah, if you got grandma with you, you might want to yeah, stay at ninety. Yeah, you know, and if like, you got yeah. grandma, maybe just go go to that one spot or you know hang out with us uh, up on on one hundred thirty seven. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, you know, l- let that runner. I, I, it, it helps if the runner can tell the spectator what they'll be wearing. Make sure that the runner that the, the spectator has the app on their phone so they can track the runner. And the app has been pretty spot on the last few yeah. years. Used to be a little shaky, but now I, you know, you can really see where your people are um, because it can be really frustrating. If the run the runner's looking for the the the, the spectator. It, it's hard, you know, and I, I'd rather the runner worry about running. Um, so don't say, you know, don't say, oh yeah, I'll be around Ninety Sixth Street. Say I'll be on the northwest, you know, corner of Ninety Sixth yeah. Street. Um, you know, I'll be wearing this, and 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 know what your runner's going to be wearing. Know about when your runner's coming through. Um, and you know, again, I, I'm always telling my runners, whatever it is, like, yeah, I hope you get to see Grandma, but don't go. If Grandma said she's going to be around Ninety Sixth Street, and you don't see her, um, you know, again, the the sort of uptight purist in me goes a little crazy when I see a runner just tapping his toes, looking around for grandma instead of running. I'm just like, keep moving, buddy. <laughs> grandma, hopefully grandma saw you, but you got to keep going. <laughs> All good stuff. Um, so any, anything else come to mind with the race? I mean, we just hit on a lot of great stuff. I mean, anything else with the race that, that you, um, uh, you know, comes to mind no really like the the thing that whenever i i talk to a group i i always close with the reminder of like take it all in don't don't like appreciate the event it really and again i keep using that word event forget appreciate the race appreciate the event and and try not to get frustrated by the things that are out of your control you know again everyone's going to start going crazy checking the weather and all this and obviously you need to to adapt based on what the weather is going to be, what you, you have to adapt to what you're going to wear and all that stuff. But, but once you know what it is, that's what it is. Don't go crazy with it. And yes, you're going to have to get up really early for a start that isn't really early. And yes, you're going to have to, to tap your toes and it's going to be 20 minutes before you get out of the park at the end. So what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, just go in knowing that there were, there are some inherent frustrations, but there are some incredible things about the race. It's a great day as a New Yorker. It's a great day for the city. Just take it in and enjoy it. Yeah. No, I think that's good advice for sure because there is a lot to take in. That's, that is that is absolutely true. Um, all right. Well, great stuff. So like I said earlier, I wanted to, to, to touch on – well, first of all, with you, one of, one of the things I noticed on – I think it was on social media at some point, you were sending out these pictures of people. And I forget it. It was this guy. He was, he was getting ready to finish right around 310 pace. And he was, he looked like a keg, um, <laughs> like going through Central Park. And I remember thinking like, yeah, I don't think that guy, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, I remember that particular one. That one was, I think, 2016. And he was actually, it's funny, we, we were, like I said, we were at our usual spot. And so we're at mile 21. And well, we're real quick, like, let me stop you. And I'm sorry. So John has, a, what do you call it, a hobby? Because I, I don't know, I didn't really explain this. <laughs> hobby so, slash obsession. <laughs> Uh, like with finding cheaters in the in not just this race, but I, I guess there's nobody likes a cheater, but you know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I started doing it more just 
I initially I did it when whenever one of my athletes would get cheated out of a uh, out of a spot, and I did it one yeah. in particular where my athlete, you know, initially was fourth place in the age group at a at a marathon, and then we looked and realized that the the third place, the woman who had been awarded third place, ran faster than you know was credited with faster than the world record half marathon pace for the second half of the race. So yeah, she clearly cut the course, and then it just sort of. <laughs> I, I started paying yeah. more and more attention. So I, I tend to really dig deeper when it's one of my athletes. And obviously that's when I'll make a fuss, but, but I am, I do have to admit to being sort of obsessed and fascinated with people who cheat at the marathon in New York city or any race in particular. So yeah, yeah this one that you mentioned, yeah, we were watching these guys. If I remember correctly, we were they, the folks coming by, they were like 240, 250 guys at this point, they were moving pretty fast. And there was this one guy who, yeah, didn't look the part. And again, I, that's that's fine. I mean, he was he was markedly bigger than the other runners, but so what? But he was also moving markedly slower than the other runners, and and it didn't make sense that he would be at mile twenty, at you know at at two hours, moving at a at a you know at, at a fairly modest pace. And um, so yeah, we sort of I actually we, we were all sort of making note of it. And then to show you how he wasn't moving that fast, I then ran down fifth avenue caught up with him so i could see his number and then when we put his number in the app he hadn't hit a mat until mile 20 so this is a guy who clearly just didn't go to the start of the race and took the train up to, <laughs> up to the bronx and jumped in but he, and again would probably have gotten away with it if he had jumped in with a group of five-hour marathoners but he jumped in with a group of 230 and 240 yeah guys. most oh, people they just they get a little like and maybe you don't understand the sport enough where they just, they get a little ahead. Yeah, so he, he's like, he's not like trying to make one of the guy for standing. I mean, he, like, I don't care how big he is, but he, he stood out. He did not look like yeah. the typical person running that. It is what it is. So that, that <laughs> tends to happen sometimes. The, the other thing in New York that tend, that, that used to happen a lot, I don't know that it happens as much now. Um, we, again, going back to Queensboro Bridge, we were talking about, yeah, you get off, it's mile 16, you run, obviously you've got 10 miles left, you go up the Bronx, you go you know, up through Manhattan, the Bronx, back down. Or if you don't feel like doing that, you just scoot across 59th Street, you go right over to Central Park and you finish and you cut out eight or nine miles of the course. Um, and you take your finisher's medal and you go home and you tell your, your, your family, you know, about your marathon. And that <laughs> used to happen a fair amount where people would just cut the course um, again, whether they did it by design where that was their plan all along, or just they got on the bridge and they went, Oh, holy crap, another 10 miles of this. Not nah, forget that. And they just yeah. would scoot across and, um, and it would happen. I mean, there were dozens and dozens of people who would do that. Um, you know, Roadrunners has gotten, they, they now have mats every mile from 16 on. So, um, if they want to, it's certainly a lot easier for them to identify runners who do that. And they've, there, there used to be, like I said, dozens of people who you could spot easily who were doing that. It doesn't seem to happen as often anymore, but yeah, it is. It's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Whether it's the people who start late, whether it's the people who shorten the court, yeah. and then the other one that happens that sometimes ends up with sort of sometimes whimsical, but sometimes more significant you know, ramifications is is the the bib the bib swapping phenomenon. So. You know, I, I can't make it to the race. I'm hurt, whatever. I didn't train enough. I give my bib to you because you wanted to run New York. You're a whole heck of a lot faster than I am. Um, yeah. And now I'm a awarded your time, um, which 
can have, you know, and now, but now take it a step further. If, if a 55 year old woman gives you her bib and you run one of your times, now suddenly you've placed in the 55 to 59, you know, yeah, female category. Unfair. So, and I mean, a couple of years ago when Catherine Switzer ran it, she, I mean, Catherine Switzer, like giant in marathoning was yeah. there was the woman who was one of the women who was listed in front of her initially was a, an obvious bib swap. It wasn't, it, it was a guy running with a woman's bib. Um, and that happens a fair amount. And occasionally, yes, you get these sort of some that affect the the scoring and some that are just a little bit funnier because, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's clearly not who it's supposed to be. And again, the most a lot going on, it's, yeah. it seems like an easier, if, if Rosie Ruiz can pull off what she pulled off, yeah. I guess it's a whole different, the different, Right. And that was, yeah, that was going for hardware and stuff. And, but, but yeah, I mean, it happens, yeah. you know, you, you hop on Craigslist in the next week or two and you're going to see people selling yeah. tips, let alone all the ones yeah. that are just transferred among friends and stuff. So yeah, it does happen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and it's, and it's frustrating. And, and it, like, you just said it like when there's hardware involved, like even in, with baseball, like if there's millions of dollars involved, like maybe you can justify take, taking some drugs, some PEDs. Um, I'm not saying I would do it. I'd like to think I wouldn't, but you know, at least then you can be like, all right, well, you know, I'm playing in the minor leagues making $35,000 a year, or I'm in the major leagues making 2 million. Maybe you can say, all right, I understand why that yep. person might have I done it. I agree with you. I, 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 for an I don't board, it. Like to me, that's just like the lowest of the low. Well, you know what, John, I don't think in, in most of those instances, I don't think the 55 year old woman who, who gives you her bib does it so that she can get an award. I think she does it because she can't make it to the race. You're her friend or she wants to make back her money and she sells it on Craigslist and she doesn't know who she sold it to. Um, I, I think most of the time those are just accidents. Um, and I think most of the time the yeah. bibs get swapped. People, you don't know about it because it's a more inconspicuous one. And let's face it, yeah. if you give me your bib and I run a slower than usual time, no one's ever going to notice it. Yeah. It's only when it's a markedly faster time, it's something you know that it, that it gets noticed. So I don't think most of the time that happens. It's done for the sake of cheating, um, or certainly not for the sake of getting an award. Sometimes it'll. The, the other thing you see sometimes is I'll say to you, "Hey John, do me a favor. I'm not running New York. I know you're you're running it already. Or could you run it for me and just get me my Boston qualifier? I always wanted to run Boston. Yeah. I'm not fast enough to qualify on my own. Um, and again, it's it's sort of this sort of you know folks say, oh, it's a victimless crime and you know, it's it's the the line from The Simpsons. It's a victimless crime, like punching someone in the face in the dark. Um, <laughs> like you know, it, it's not, and you know, and people end up not getting into Boston because someone else yeah, cheated no, their way exactly. in. But stuff. there are people who actually cheat. I think maybe this world, this the, the the world we live in of social media, and like I don't know. I just think there's just like this motivation to be to I don't know, show a result. Absolutely. Um, in some way that like it's the temptation of, of, of that that oh, maybe fuels it. No, I, I think that's a lot of it is, you know, now no one just goes and I, I shouldn't say no, but it's, it's, it's unusual to just go and run a marathon. Let's say you, you share it on Facebook, you share it on Instagram, you, you show, you, you post when you signed up for the race, you post your training updates and yeah. all that. And one of the interesting phenomenon that I used to notice when, again, I, I alluded to people who would just cut the course um, and scoot over from the Queensboro Bridge right over to the finish. And one of the interesting things about that, and I'm always reluctant, you know, I have to tread very lightly because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. But one mm -hmm. of the, the, the interesting things about that was it was almost always foreign runners. 
And I am not, don't, don't quote me out of context. I'm not saying all oh, those damn foreigners. But I think what it is, is A, they probably didn't realize that they were going to get caught. But more to the point, there's an inherent pressure. Like, So I, I do think that social media plays a, a part in it because, you know, it, it's it's unusual now to see someone who just goes and runs a marathon. You now what you do is you you share it on social when you register for the race, you share your training updates, you you plan to go out and rock the race and you do all this stuff. And there's an inherent pressure in that. And so to then come back without a finisher's medal and have all your followers asking you what happened. I think that's hard. And one of the, one of the things that I noticed when, you know, when people were cutting across the, the, the 59th street bridge and going straight over to the finish, when, when I would spot people doing it, um, there was a disproportionate number of runners from other countries. And I'm always reluctant to mention that because I don't want it to be misinterpreted and I'm not saying anything inherent about any group or whatever. But, but I think what tends to happen is when you've, you've got that added pressure of you've spent hundreds of dollars on the race and then yeah. airfare and the hotel. And you're telling your family back in France, back in Spain, back wherever, you know, and they're expecting you to come home with a medal. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's this sort of what's the harm kind of huh. phenomenon. Um, and I suspect that, you know, and again, like I said, I suspect that there's plenty of Americans who do it in Berlin. I think it's just here, Folks are probably maybe there's a little less pressure when you're doing a local race, and I think the New Yorkers like I, I rarely caught New Yorkers doing that, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not crazy enough to say that New Yorkers are inherently more honest. I think we're just savvier and realize that that they'd get caught. Um, but it, but yeah, yeah, one way or another, I do think there's that inherent pressure that that comes with with social media, and I love social media, but I I do think there are downsides to it sometimes, and that's one of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Stravas of the world and, you know, running too fast just cause you know, people are going to see it and there's just, there's all kind of, it's an interesting time. Yeah, and you don't want to, sure. and I don't want to sound like the old man, like, Oh, you kids. No, but, but it's you know. true. And John, I fall into it. Like I, and look, I'm the coach who tells folks, take your, your, your easy day and do it guilt free. I want, you know, I, I say all the time, like I want pigeons landing on your back, on your shoulder. Cause you're running so slow. They mistake you for a statue. I want you, I want grandma passing you with her shopping cart, all this stuff on your easy days. Yet I noticed myself a while back, I would, if I would do a real easy run or a real slow run, whatever, I would keep it like, I would keep the Strava file private. Yeah. And, and I realized that I'm like being a total hypocrite. Like, first of all, I never try to sell myself as like, hopefully I'm a good coach, but it's not because I was a great athlete or I'm a great athlete. Um, yet there I was kind of embarrassed that I was out there shuffling. Um, yeah. And now, you know, compound that a zillion times by the pressure of a race and all this stuff. And, and sure. if you do yeah. pass yourself off as a really good athlete. And yeah, I, I think it's hard. So I, I don't think people necessarily show up at a race thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to cut the course and get my medal. I think it's probably, yeah, 16, 17 yeah. miles in. You go, this sucks. And I could yeah. scoot over to the park, get my medal. I'm running four hours. What's the big deal? Where, you know, again, the sort of where's the harm phenomenon? Yeah. 
those are interesting like like um points as far as the cheating and the perspective there that makes a little more sense like you know there's always going to be the person who just one like is, is going to cheat to the point where like there's these funny ones you see all the time like like you said that the world record for the second half and you know just uh and like oh oops i uh, you know i won this race and right. it's like you know you you ran like three minutes a mile for the last yeah. five k. It's a little suspicious. <laughs> I mean, you look fit and everything, but um, so you know, with um, with regards to cheating, like you know, usually we like to hit on some of the um, um, you know, the current events, and and there's been a lot of talk about the Oregon project, and um, to be honest, I haven't dove into it, and it's just been kind of looming out there in the space of, of track and field, and and for such a long time. I mean. Um, do you have any thoughts there? I mean, not not not, put, not to put you on the spot, but like like, and, and I'm not trying to again as as I know we like as a coach, you kind of have to be like a little diplomatic about it. But like, is there is it anything pop into your head the first time you like we're hearing this at the World Championships and they're like launching this? Sure, and you're right. Yes, I have diplomacy is not usually my strong suit. Um, uh, uh, but look, let's put it this way. You know, the, the old cliche about where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I, 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 let's put it, I was not the least bit surprised yeah. to see Mr. Salazar suspended and to see the, the, the Oregon project disbanded. Um, it seems like at the very least they were stretching the limits, you know, um, and, you know, quite possibly far worse than that. Um, but yeah, that, that one didn't particularly surprise Maybe me. Maybe it's a fair question to say, like, because of that, you know, it kind of brings the, just the big picture to the forefront as far as cheating in the sport and, you know, from at that, in that way, you know, so is this something that is like a bigger problem than maybe we, we think it is? Or- yeah, I, I think, I think so. And, but, uh, you know, I also think that, that what tends to happen sometimes, look, I, I come from a cycling background and it was the yeah. thing around Lance Armstrong for years. And I was long before the majority agreed with me and long before his admissions, I was saying, of course he's dirty. And, you know, people say, oh, but he's done this, he's done that. And I, yeah, I, I get it, but he's, he's dirty. Um, and with him, I was very outspoken. I wasn't trying to be diplomatic. Um, you know, at, at least, I, you know, for, for, after a while I gave up on the diplomacy. Um, but there's still the chorus that, that, you know, the the apologists who go, well, yeah, but everyone was dirty. You know, everyone riding the tour was dirty. So it was still a level playing field. Well, first of all, that's not necessarily true. And well, I mean, just that's a slippery slope. Like you start using like, (laughs) exactly. First of all, that doesn't mean that everyone had access to the, to the same, to the same stuff. It doesn't mean everyone was, was doing the same stuff. It doesn't mean, and we don't know, you know, there's certain things we can go into a lab and study. We don't know that if you and I both took the same performance enhancing drugs that we're going to respond the same way. So the whole level playing field, the thing doesn't make sense. And as someone who's known low level pros who were clean, who never really made it, because they wouldn't take those shortcuts. You know, yeah, you, you talked before about the minor league baseball player who's making 35 grand a year and decides to take PEDs and makes it to the majors. Well, what about the, what about his roommate who's just every bit as talented but doesn't take those PEDs and never makes it to the majors and is working at Walmart? You know, it, so so you know the the whole everyone's doing a thing some someone isn't doing it and you know and the best someone who isn't doing it 
is is affected by the by by the, the guys who are so yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you put a gun to my head. I think there's a there's a, a whole heck of a lot of doping going on at the at the high end of 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 distance running and 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 sprinting for that matter. Yeah, it's it stinks um, at a certain level just to be a fan of such a, of a sport where you know you want to get excited about something, but like you're always like ninety five percent excited about it because you know you leave that extra five percent available for disappointment. Um, you know, when you finally find out that like, I wanted Lance to be clean because <laughs> I thought it was a fun story, but you know, and you try to go into denial and like, you have like Galen Rupp and like Jordan Husse who didn't even finish their races. And you're kind of like, Hmm, like it seems a little odd, but you know, like, again, I, I, you know, there's, um, and you see somebody just really blast the race and then you see Hassan w- went run four thirteen. I can't get excited about it. I just, right. I, I can't. I can't. And then that's, that's really, you know, disappointing to me. So I, I try to block it out. And then, then you have something like this that kind of re- makes it resurface. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I love when people are vocal about it. Like the good racers who are vocal about it, like Jenny Simpson, um, you know, Kara Goucher. Um, yeah. You know. And, and I'm sure, look, and it, it's hard. You're right. Cause as a fan, you sort of have to always brace yourself. You can't get, like, like you said, you have to go 95%. You can never go 100% enthusiastic because you just never know when the other shoe is going to drop. And there are, no doubt, there's some clean athletes who are who have this cloud over them just because of the nature of the sport and what other people are doing. And and I'm not looking to damn everyone, but I'm, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical. Yeah, it's tough, so. Um, so, and then I don't want to keep you, keep you, I'm sure you're up against something, but here I, uh, I just real quick wanted that this has been in the news too. this, this, uh, the, the EK, the, uh, Kipchoge, um, one fifty nine forty. Um, I kind of have my opinions on it. Uh, I was curious what you, what you thought of that, whole, just that whole thing. Well, not just the attempt itself, but, um, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, and, and, you know, you and I both said, we're trying not to sound like that old guy, but then we do. Um, but you know, it's, to me, it's, it, it was, it was an interesting exhibition. It was an interesting case study. Um, but again, if you said to me, Hey, I can wave my magic wand and you can either run sub two hours under those controlled conditions with the laser line and the, the 42 pacers and all that stuff, or, you can go a second under the world record in a real race. I would take the latter every time. Um, yeah. I'm much more impressed by his world record than by his running sub two under the, those controlled conditions. Um, and I mean, at least it's the same guy. So, uh, but, but it's also, I, I found it very interesting that the same weekend, a woman breaks the marathon world record in a real race and it's a it's a blip on the radar like it it got nowhere near the attention um and again there's plenty of people people are skeptical and i i I get all that stuff but it just it just seems a little odd to me that kipchoge got all that attention (laughs) for running sub two much more than he got when he set the the world record much more than than Bridget Koskai got this weekend for breaking the world record. Um, at, again, the, the geek in me, the, the scientist in me, the exercise physiologist in me, I, I found it fascinating. And to try and quantify, which, which you can't, but gee, 
how much of that that gap between the world record and what he ran, how much of it was the shoes, how much of it was the pacers, how much of you know, how much of it was the perfect conditions. Uh, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me, but it, to me, ultimately, it was an exhibition, not nothing more than that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I tend to to echo your sentiments because I um I, I but I I was getting some people just downright getting angry with me, um, saying like I was being negative and and you know he's he's great for the community and he's the fastest guy to ever do it and 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 I get all that part. I don't think I think he seems like a great guy and like yep, his apparently he's so. coming up around him and like yeah I, I don't really I don't know him. Um, I think there's people who've done plenty for the the running community um and you know even even if the the advantages in that race were worth one percent i agree with you that that this is 201 what is it 2130 something or 201 hit the world record it's roughly it's a shame of it is i can't even tell you exactly i think it's 38 yeah, or 39 something like that but that actually is and I, and I was thinking that the other day like if you even just take one percent i think it's actually a better performance it's a better effort. It's a better performance than the actual, but people can't wrap their heads around that. And I'm, yeah. I, I just kind of like, I kind of just let it go because I'm like, look, it's look, I, I get it. He ran fourth. He still had to run it and it was a great oh, performance. It's, it's but, monumental. <laughs> but I, I have, I have issue with the barrier part of it. And I think it, it should have been preserved. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't, I, but on the other hand, I think it's brilliant. Oh, you know? it's brilliant marketing. Like, like it's it's brilliant, like the, the the chat and just the fact that we're talking about it now. Um, but I think for the for marketing for the sake of breaking a barrier before it should have been broken, in my opinion, is just is just too much for me to wrap my, my you know my what, head around. Here, here's all I can say about that is several years ago, eight ten years ago, I was on a little a local running TV show around here, a cable show, and the interviewer asked me if I thought two hours would ever be broken. Um, and then when this all happened, he invited me to come back and host his show to be the guest host of his show. And he said, you pick the guests and the two guests I chose, one was an exercise physiologist who I went to grad school with, who's way smarter than I am, but the other was a marketing guy. And that to me, that says everything is that, that, that I didn't bring someone in to discuss the intricacies of racing or training or that I brought someone in to talk about marketing because that's what that that's that's integral to what that was it was a marketing event yeah they're so good i mean just when you think like you know they're they're like kind of not dead in the water they're never going to be dead in the water nike but like you know just kind of just doing their thing they come out with something like that and i'm like of course yeah, you're kind of oh, like this makes perfect. Like this is like brilliant. Like everyone's talking about it, excited. It's a barrier. Like it's, you know, and it kind of reminded me of what it might have been like when we were around when Landy and Bannister were. If I was was around when Landy and Bannister were going for that four <clears throat> minute, um, right. you know, barrier. barrier. Which, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was just I was just curious because it there's a lot of and especially in social media and it's almost like it, it gotten nasty in some some circles which is funny to me like i'm like oh i do think it's good though that it's the same man who has both the world record and was the first to go under two in the exhibition so at least it's not oh well you're 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 biased toward this particular runner or that particular it's the same guy it's just 
yeah, if you ask me which which of those accomplishments I would rather have my name attached to, it would be the world record. Yeah, and it would have been even cooler if Bekele was in the race with him because like, he's right there. So it was a second. That was that was great. Two seconds right. he missed the world. I you mean, know, and true. that would have been an interesting way to do it too. Is is have have that exhibition like you know what I keep calling it, and you know. It, if yeah. you have if you have two runners, so okay, yeah, you have those controlled, you have that controlled environment, and but yeah, both runners can bring in their own pacer. You can have the laser. You can have people bring hand in their drinks and all, um, but they're they're sort of still going head to head to try and run it. Would have actually that would be. I mean, I'm sure the logistics of that are challenging, and the politics and the the marketing. But look, even going back full circle to when we talked about Christopher Berglund getting the 24 hour record. He invited. He 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 met Dean Carnazzi's when they finished third and fourth at Bat, at Badwater, and he invited Dean. He said, "Hey, Dean, I'm trying to break this world record. Do you want to come and try for it also?" So he brought his competition, and they yeah. went. They both went for the record. And like I said, Christopher got 153 miles. Dean got 149 miles. But it was kind of cool. I mean, obviously they're both. It's an individual event, but they're doing it side by side, literally. Um, yeah, that would have been a kind of neat thing yeah. to see the two of them go at it, trying to break break two. But yeah, yeah, I, I have a feeling maybe we'll get to see them race again, which could be interesting. Um, but all right, well, thanks again, John, for for joining us. I, this Always this a is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it so your coaching business, obviously coaching triathletes, runners, um, anyone wants to go for that. Um, anyone with a heartbeat. Um, there you go. You know, <laughs> So uh, how, how do we find you? Um, the website is citycoach, C-I-T-Y-C-O-A-C-H.org. Um, I'm all over social. So uh, you can find me at Instagram. I'm Coach Kane. Facebook, I'm Coach Kane. Twitter, because there's some guy in Florida with five followers who has that handle. I'm real Coach Kane on Twitter. Um, if you want to go down, go find this guy in Florida, knock on his door for me, get me my handle. <laughs> Hasn't tweeted in six years, but they won't give me the handle. But uh, yeah, the real Coach Kane on Twitter, Coach Kane on Instagram and Facebook. All right, good stuff. All right, John. Like I said, thanks again for joining us. Everyone, look for Coach Coach uh, Coach John at uh, on 137th Street, um, and uh, look for him on social and citycoach.org. And uh, that does it for us, folks. Look for us um, uh, next time here on the Reinforced Running Podcast. Thank you.